If you've got a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians 15. Just keep coming. I, I got to do this in a couple weeks. This is making me nervous. All right, First Corinthians chapter fifteen. We're going to start in verse twelve, and this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, "Now, as Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead?" But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for each and every person that's here. Thank you for uh, the songs that we just sang that that sang about all that you've done for us in your life, in your death, in your resurrection. And Father, I pray now as we look at um, this just great text of Scripture that talks about the resurrection and how important it is. Uh, Father, that you have risen, uh, that, Father, it would sit on our hearts, that it would fill our hearts with joy uh, and thankfulness and gratitude for what you've done, uh, that, that, this, that, that, that this not be something that we think about only on Easter, but that every Sunday we gather, we would cast our, our mind and our, and our thoughts towards that empty tomb, knowing that you have done what we could not in living the life that we should have lived, in dying the death we deserve, in taking our punishment, in defeating sin and the reign of death on our life by rising again. Uh, That, Father, this would be a doctrine that we would hold on to and it would be a glorious thing to us. Um, And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 11 and, and kind of what Paul said is he as he's ending the letter and he's, he's he's going towards the home stretch is he wanted to bookend his whole book of 1 Corinthians with the gospel and he wanted to remind people and remind the brothers and sisters that what is of first importance the thing that we should hold higher than anything else is the good news of the gospel of what Jesus has done for us the fact that Jesus has lived the life we should have lived, that he died a death that we deserve, that Jesus has substituted himself for sinners, and that he's rose again, securing our salvation. And Paul says that is the message that we should run back to continuously. And what we said last week is that the heart of the gospel is that God substituted himself in the place of sinners. That the heart of every other religion is here's how you're supposed to live. Here's the rules, good luck keeping them. But the heart of Christianity says this is what has already been done for you by Jesus Christ. Now rejoice and rest in that. 
And so what Paul wants these believers to understand is that the gospel is of first importance. It's not the thing that, that we go, well, that's just our entryway into the pool. It's the diving board. No, Paul says the gospel is the pool itself. It's the thing that we swim in, that we stay in. We never leave it. This morning in our men's Bible study, I reminded the men, once again, of the gospel. That so often we want to look to externals to see how good a person is where Christ says, no, it's all about what Jesus has done in our hearts. It's all about faith in Christ. It's all about the gospel. And so this last issue that now Paul will turn his attention to within the Corinthian church is the issue of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How many of you guys in here have played Jenga or you enjoy playing Jenga? Anybody? Okay, so you get it, right? You, so you understand the, the premise of the game, right? You have all these blocks, three high, right? And you've got to push one out at a time and move it to the top. And, and the goal is to see how tall you can get the tower without knocking it down. But eventually somebody is going to knock over the tower, and the person who knocks over the tower, they're the loser, right? They move the wrong block out. I hate that game. I mean, one, because I'm lazy and I don't like cleaning it up to play it again. I mean, to me, it's kind of like, ah. But then I'm just not any good. Like for some reason, like I get shaky trying to move those blocks out. I can't, I can't do it. But, but that's kind of what Paul's going to say today is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is kind of like a game of Jenga. That if you take out the resurrection, like if you say it's not there or you don't think about it or you deny it, then that whole tower is going to come collapsing down. Then everything that happened on the cross was completely worthless without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Tim Keller has said that the resurrection is the hinge upon which the story of the entire world pivots. And the resurrection has profound implications for how anyone lives. So, so the resurrection of Christ in the past and the resurrection of human beings in the future have a very deep and practical significance for the present. See, the resurrection changes the way both death and life are understood and experienced in the here and now. So if you take the resurrection out, then your faith is completely worthless. And I think what happens a lot of times is this, is that us preacher types, we love to get up here and we, we love to emphasize the cross. And we love to emphasize the transaction that took place where Jesus exchanged his perfect life for your sinful life. Right? And because of that great exchange that we're now counted righteous in the sight of God, that we've been given this positional standing in front of God, that when God looks at you and I, he no longer sees all of our sins or our mess-ups and all the ways that we fail him. Instead, he sees Jesus' perfect life instead of your sinful life. And that is all true and yes and amen. But the problem is, is that if we stop there, we don't have any hope for what's coming after all of this. And a lot of times that's where we stop. See, Paul says in Romans 4.25 that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. And then check this out. He was raised for our justification. That they go together. That the cross and the resurrection are two things that you cannot separate from one another. And apparently what had been taking place in the Corinthian church is that they were making this mistake, is that they were emphasizing the life of Jesus, but on the other end they were saying that, well, the resurrection of Jesus is the end of it all, there's no more. Um, and more than likely what they were doing was teaching dualism, which was very popular in the Greco-Roman world. Dualism, Gnosticism, that said this physical body is not important. It's the soul that's more important than the physical body. And see, what's crazy is that Christianity doesn't teach that. Christianity talks about the whole body and the importance of our physical body and our spiritual soul and that you can't separate the two out. 
And so what's going on is that there's been this major confusion about the resurrection and its place in the Christian life. And so as Paul brings the letter to a close in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he wants them to understand how important this doctrine is and how dangerous it is to remove it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 12. Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. So the Corinthian Christians were saying that the dead are, are not raised, right? And so Paul says, well, here's the problem with that. If the dead are not going to be raised eventually when Jesus returns, then that means that Jesus is still dead too. That means that he never rose again. And so if you have no place in your system for a bodily resurrection from the dead, then you must have no place in your system for a risen Christ. And so Paul says if that's the case, there are profound implications for every single one of us in this room who call ourselves Christians. There's implications for those of us who preach for a living, who preach uh, the Bible, who preach the gospel, and there's those uh, of you who hear the word preached. There's implications for you. So first, what Paul says then is that if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. That, That word vain in the Greek, it means empty. It means hollow. Like think of an empty room. Like go down to the FLC and try to talk, and it's just bouncing off everywhere, right? It's it's hollow. It's empty. There's there's echoes. There's sounds going back and forth. Paul's saying, that's my preaching if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. Then I'm just wasting my time week in and week out studying the scriptures. I'm wasting my time getting up here and screaming and moving my hands and gesticulating like a moron every week, right? That's what's going on. See, if Jesus didn't die and didn't rise, if Jesus stayed dead and didn't rise, then this whole message this morning is a complete and total waste of time is what he's saying. But not only that, look what he says in verse 15. He says, we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. So not only am I wasting my time preaching to you, Paul Paul says that I'm misrepresenting God. In other words, what I'm doing up here is just blasphemy. I'm saying things about God that simply aren't true. That if the dead are not raised, then Christ was not raised, then our message is completely and utterly empty, is what Paul's saying. So what he's trying to get these guys to understand, these Corinthians, he's saying, hey, if you're so enlightened that you can't believe in the resurrection, then let's just stop preaching, let's stop worshiping, let's stop sending missionaries, let's stop planting churches, let's stop sharing our faith, because if Jesus is not alive, if the dead are not raised, then the whole thing's a colossal waste of time. There's no point even being here if that didn't happen. But it's not just for me, the preacher. There's implications for you, the hearer, as well. Look look at verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. And then look what he says. And your faith is in vain. So if what I'm preaching isn't right, then what you believed and what you're gathered here today to worship and say you hold true, none of it's true if Jesus wasn't raised. In other words, Paul says, your faith is worthless. You're worshiping a dead guy, and what's the point of worshiping somebody who's dead? 
you, you would be no different than any other religion. Your salvation's worthless because in effect you're saying that God wrote a check for your sins but there wasn't enough money in the bank for it to clear. Right? Or, or for some of you younger kids, right? You did a debit, right? And there wasn't enough money in there. Okay? Check. So what's that? I don't know. Right? So what he says is that what Jesus did was a complete and total waste of time if he's still dead and if you don't believe that the dead will rise again. Right? But more than that, look what he says, verse 16. For the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So it's back to Jenga again. Paul says, man, you think you can slide that one block out and not knock the whole thing down? You are completely mistaken. You're crazy. You're actually in deep trouble because if Christ has not been raised, the problem is you're still in your sins. Your sins weren't paid for. You're still wallowing in them. You're still dead in your trespasses. You're lost is what Paul says if Jesus never rose again. Gordon Fee in his commentary on Corinthians says this. He says, by denying the resurrection, you're saying that you really aren't that bad off. That your sins aren't that bad. To deny your future is to deny your past. The death of Jesus for us, including both justification and sanctification, is inextricably bound together with his resurrection. To deny the one is to deny the other. So Paul is urging that their present position about the resurrection means that they cease to be believers altogether. That if you deny that it happened, that if you don't believe that Jesus rose again, if you don't believe that one day we will rise again, Paul says your faith is completely worthless. And what he wants you to see is that the resurrection is the ace of spades, that it's over. The reign of sin, the reign of death, the reign of slavery to sin in your life and in mine has been conquered once and for all in Jesus Christ. If Christ was not raised, then maybe he paid for all of it. Eh, maybe he didn't. But see, since he was resurrected, we see that the debt has been paid in full. And so because we have a resurrection, we see that Christ is no longer under the curse of death, and therefore the curse of sin and death has been fully absorbed by Jesus Christ. That's good news. So what that means is that those of you who sit in this room and say, well, you don't know me, I've gone too far, I've done too much, I've hurt too many people, uh, there's too much carnage in my background, I carry too much shame, uh, th there's no way that this message can be for me, uh, this place, this church couldn't welcome me, I don't even understand how God would have me as a son or daughter. What Paul wants you to know is that you are believing absurd lies. The resurrection is the evidence that it has all been paid in full. Every single one of your sins, past, present, future, laid on Jesus Christ. He wrote the check for him and on the third day rose again saying, I paid for it all. It's covered. Hebrews 7.27 says this. It says, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The cross and the resurrection was enough. The book of Hebrews will also say that the altar's closed. He's no longer taking offerings for sin. So that means that our penitence and all the ways that we try to pray, pay God back is kind of confusing. It's been paid for. It's done. If you're in Christ, your bill has been paid in full. You got up to leave the restaurant and found out that somebody already paid for it. Right? You ever have that happen? That's a cool thing. 
That's what he means. Is that the check he wrote cleared and you're now positionally made right with God Almighty. But more than that, listen, you're being made right with God as you continue in the faith. He's transforming you to be more and more like Jesus. And one day, because Jesus is alive, you will rise again and we will be with him. We will see him face to face. Either when you die and you stand before him or he returns to this earth you will see your creator and your redeemer. But if you don't believe in the resurrection, none of this is true then. It's not true for the hearers. It's not true for the preachers. But check this out. It's also bad news for people that have already died. Look at verse 18. Paul says, Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So if the resurrection is not true, there's no hope for us in this life, then all those who have died in the faith before us, they're out of luck too. That means when I do funerals, I don't get to comfort people with the hope of living again. I don't get to comfort people with the hope of being reunited with the Lord and with their loved ones. If he is not risen again, then there is no hope at all that death is final. It's the end of the sentence of your life. The dead have perished, they're gone is what Paul says. And in verse 19, Paul says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So it's got implications for the hearer. It's got implications for the preacher. It's got implications for those who have already died. But then he also says that if you don't believe in the resurrection, your Christianity is only for this life. Without a resurrection, what it means is that we're just making people's lives better with a vague general message about God and being nice to your fellow man, right? I mean, that's good for this life, but that's all it is. Then why be a Christian, right? I mean, just go be a social worker or run a nonprofit, dig wells. Just go be a good person and make people comfortable on this earth for eternity in hell. That's what Paul says. There's no point in even being a Christian if there is no resurrection, because if Jesus is dead, then it's game over and Christianity is just a sham. If the Christian faith is based on an empty gospel and a fraudulent Savior, everybody's better off than a Christian. That's why Paul says we are of all men most to be pitied. We're just a bunch of fools if we don't believe that Jesus rose again and that we will rise again as well. And see, all... Why, why all this matters, brothers and sisters, is that we can't separate the resurrection of believers from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? See, see, if we're in Christ, then that means his destiny is our destiny. If we belong to the first Adam, we're dead in our sins. We have no hope, and physical death is all that awaits you and I. But if he was not raised from the dead, there's no forgiveness of sins. If sins are not forgiven, then everything we do at this church week in and week out is a total waste of time. If there is no resurrection, the Christian life isn't worth our time. That's what Paul's trying to get them to see. But thanks be to God that Jesus rose again. Right? Jesus is alive. That's why we gather on Sundays. It's because we're proclaiming that the death could not hold him. That he rose again. And so if we are in Christ, his destiny is our destiny, and we will rise from the dead. Those Christians who've gone on before us will rise from the dead. 
Now listen, we, we need to do a little work at this point. I think a lot of times when we think of dying, we think that we're going to go to heaven, sit on a harp, and just kind of float around, right? In this ethereal, disembodied state. That, that's kind of what we think of when we, we think of heaven. And in a lot of ways, we're very guilty of doing the same things that the Corinthians do. Like, we don't understand that our bodies and our souls go together. Like, we just think, hey, it doesn't matter what I do to my body right here on this earth, right? I'm going to live however I want. I'm going to do whatever I want because, I mean, this old thing's going in the ground, baby, right? And then my soul's going to go to heaven, and my soul's going to be with Jesus forever. And that's really not what it is at all. The, the hope of the Christian is to be embodied again, that the soul and the body will unite in praise and service of our Redeemer one day. So, so let me just go back to the basics. Let me just tell you what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are both a material body and an immaterial soul. So upon death, the two parts are separated. Our body goes into the ground, and if we're believers, our soul goes on to be with God. Unbelievers' souls go to a place called by such name in the Bible as prison and Hades. That is a place of just suffering for unbelievers until they stand before Jesus and are sentenced to the conscious eternal torments of hell. It's a real place. But one day, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is going to crack the sky and he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he will bring the souls of all those who have gone on before us that are currently with him. And when we speak of resurrection, what the Bible's telling us is that there is going to be an eventual reuniting of our body and our soul. N.T. Wright, who, who has done more work on the resurrection than anybody or any scholar, refers to resurrection as life after life after death. I love that. That it's life after life after death. So resurrection isn't just life after death like we think of it. There's another day coming when Jesus will return. Our souls will reunite with our bodies. But here's the big difference. We're going to go from this jalopy of a body, right? Have y'all seen my minivan, that jalopy, that white thing I drive? Like I'm going to get rid of something like that and we're going to have a Rolls Royce of a body, man. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be wonderful, right? Because our body, right, and some of you can amen on me on this, it's falling apart, isn't it? I just turned 38. Things are not as easy at 38 as they were at 30. They're not as easy as they were at 25, right? And I get it. Quit giving me bad looks. You're like, well, you're not 60 yet or whatever. I know. It gets worse. But we can look around and you can see the imprint of a fallen world upon ourselves, upon our friends, upon our loved ones, and we can see it in physical breakdown. We can see it in illness. So the glory of the resurrection of the body, listen, hear me on this. It means that that loved one that you've taken care of with Alzheimer's, with dementia, maybe that, that person you saw waste away from cancer, maybe your father, maybe your mother, maybe your spouse, maybe a child, listen to me, because of the resurrection, when our souls reunite with our bodies, there's going to be a day when in Christ, all who trust in him, who've been ravaged by horrible disease, will be changed and transformed, and you're going to see that person in a glory that you've never seen them before. It's going to be incredible. That, that Down syndrome child, 
That, that child with, with autism, there's coming a day you will see them in a physical and a mental prowess and power that you've never seen them in before. Th- that child who you lost in the womb, that child who died at age four, you're going to see that child again. You're going to see them in the full flower and power of manhood and womanhood. Right? Those of you in the room that maybe you're harassed by psychological, hormonal, emotional imbalances, guess what? All that's going to be gone one day. You're going to have all that taken away from you. And one day you will stand in a body that you could not believe. Those who are unable to walk, right? They're going to be running. I was chasing Lucy the other day in her power chair. If you haven't seen her in that thing, it's hilarious. It can go. And I said, you want to race? And we raced back to the house. And while we're running, the thought hit me. I won't have to chase her in a stinking chair one day. She's going to have legs, and I'm going to get down and say, on your mark, get set, go. And I'm going to let her win every time. Everything is going to be transformed. Because listen, Jesus isn't just concerned with your soul. He's concerned with the whole person. He wants all of you transformed so that in your whole person, you'll be with him and you'll praise him forever. But listen to me. The promise of what I'm talking about, this is only for those who by faith have trust in Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross and his resurrection proving that it worked. So hear me. If you don't know Jesus today, This hope that I'm talking about, this hope one day of being reunited body and soul, it doesn't apply to you. And so if that's you today, as the gospel's been preached, as maybe your heart has been stirred, that is the Lord calling you and wooing you. Trust in Jesus today. Don't leave without telling somebody that you need Jesus. And then for Christians, listen, the resurrection is significant for our sanctification Because as we grow in holiness, we learn to live in victory over sin until one day in our own resurrection, we will live forever free from the presence, the power, and the practice of all sin. And that is the hope that we have to look forward to. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. This morning, it's great that our text ends up here because now we're going to go to the Lord's table and we're going to remember what Jesus has done for us. We're going to remember his life, his death, and we're going to remember his resurrection and what we have to look forward to as believers. And so as my deacons come down to the front, I want to just remind you of a few things. First and foremost, what we're about to do is for the family only. It is for Christians. It's for believers. And so if you're in this room and you're not a believer, we just ask that you sit this one out. Uh, Nobody's going to make fun of you. Nobody's going to embarrass you. But we do believe that this is for the brothers and sisters. If you're a guest with us and you're a Christian, by all means, please come to the table with us. You're welcome at the Lord's table. The other thing I want to tell you is this, is the Bible is very clear that when we come to the table, we need to make sure we come in a worthy manner. And so what that means is, is that when we come to the table, we remember that the only reason you have a right to come to this table is not because of who you are or what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. So reflect on that. Remind yourself of what Jesus has done for you. Maybe there's some unconfessed sin or some things right now in this moment that you just need to give up to the Lord before you approach him. And so the deacons will be coming. They'll be passing out a tray. 
right? Just grab a, a juice and a cracker and just wait a minute and we'll all partake together here in just a moment, okay? So let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for the hope that we have of the resurrection. Thank you, Father, that death could not hold Jesus, that he conquered it, that he broke it. And that, Father, the hope for the Christian now is that there is coming a day where we will rise again, where we will be um, embodied, soul and body again, and we will be given beautiful, glorious, wonderful, amazing bodies to enjoy and to stand in the presence of our Savior and our King forever and ever and ever. Thank you so much for that. Father, be with us now as we go to your table. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.